Hello and welcome everyone to part 10 of the Anderson Countdown. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Shelton, and this week it's our penultimate episode. We're discussing Wes Anderson's most recent film to date with a revisit of his 2021 period anthology drama, The French Dispatch. Before we get to that, however, with me, as always, I have my countdown co-hosts, Scott Harvey and Jay Habib. Scott, you first as usual. How are things going? Things are going good. Yep. A year later, we're finally finishing out the series. Uh, very exciting times. Um, of course, we, we do only have watch next... Anderson movies in the spring. I think that's what we learned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have our next series, you know, that we, we already know what it's going to be. I don't, don't I know if that's been for, formally announced yet, but yeah, we're doing Miyazaki next. So that's yeah. exciting. Um, but I'm excited to talk about this movie first. Um, you know, we did like a mini review, I think, Scott, on Some Like It, Scott, when it first came out, but we haven't. We done, didn't do like, a full a review? Full. No, we did an episode where we talked about like four movies. We did like quick hitters on them, mm-hmm. and this was one of them uh, because it had a weird release where it opened much earlier for you than it did for me, I believe. So, um, yeah, we. We did it as part of that special episode. So we haven't done like a full review on it yet. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Excited to round out the series here. It's been a great series. I have not uh, not enjoyed any films. I've enjoyed every film. So um, that's what a, uh, what a strange way to say that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I started the sentence and then I realized that it was going to be awkward to finish it that way. But um, anyway, sure. I enjoyed every film. And uh, and that's obviously not something I've really been able to say about. Well, I guess Fincher also, but um, but yeah, no. You didn't it, enjoy all fun. of Nolan's movies? I was no, I didn't say. enjoy. Fo- I didn't enjoy following that much. So, didn't you give it three or three and a half stars? For me, three stars is like I don't know if I would say I enjoy it. Like, interesting. Okay, it's fine. Sure. Y- you felt that way about Fight Club. True. I always, yeah, I did forget that. Yeah. We Fight quite Club literally forgot Fight Club on the countdown as well, uh, to be fair. But that, yeah, that's, that is true. Or did we forget the game? No, we forgot the game, right? Yeah. Oh, did we? Oh, because we, we skipped yeah. the game and went straight to Fight Club, or is that what it yeah, was? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, we definitely didn't forget Fight Club. But anyway, yeah, Fight Club is bad. I wish bad, we hadn't so. gone back to the game, but Ooh. the game is much better than Fight Club. Um, the game's a little better than Fight Club. Anyway. I guess this is the only one, then. I guess this is the only one where I've enjoyed all the movies. So, good job, us. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fair fair enough. Jay, do you feel similarly? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Scott. I'm, I'm surprised we're, we're here. You're not completely sick of me. We've seen a lot of each other this weekend. Between Yeah, I'm going to block your number after this. Don't worry. <laughs> but then how are we going to watch Mission Impossible Rogue Nation next weekend? Maybe we'll be in the right place at the right time. Who knows? I'm going to show up at your apartment. <laughs> at the right time the right time which i yeah. won't know because you'll have blocked my number sure but i'm good scott we watched guardians together on thursday night mm-hmm. and then last night we recorded an episode on it i also watched the french dispatch last night and then today you know we played games together for many hours now here we are so solid yeah. few days yep i'll see you bright and early tomorrow i'm kidding oh yeah <laughs> for what <laughs> you come in suit shopping uh not the, not the plan but you never know things can change but yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'd be welcome to come. It's a busy it's a busy time. I feel like I'm sure, Jay, you feel like you've been watching a lot of movies. I feel like I've been watching not a lot of movies, but I've been I've always had a movie to watch um, for something. So that's uh, it's not a bad feeling welcome but, to my life. Yeah. Well, you know, you, we all do it to ourselves, I guess you you much yeah. more so than than I do. You, no, you, Scott definitely, Sheldon, you do it to me. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting me to overcommit to all these movies. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a sliding scale of, of movie commitment. Jay is the least committed, although still committed. Uh, I am slightly more committed because of the weekly cadence of the podcast. And Scott, you you do crazy shit. I don't understand why you do what you do. But you have the round. The round table, I think, is the, is especially the, the one. Currently, that yes. Yeah. That's been taking it up for me. But also, you know, your list sucks and stuff like that occasionally. But yeah. yeah. Are you pretty much done with, play, with playing trivia at this time. point? Are you still triviaing or? No, yeah, yeah. I just am not in the tournament, so it's going to be a I little see. bit. I mean, I lost in the tournament, so. Gotcha. Yeah, because I feel like you do your, you do the roundtable. You do when you're doing yeah. YLS. That's a lot. That's um, much more of the focus now, for sure. So I mean, I mean, maybe I just feel like you're 
you're leaving the podcast behind. Maybe we need to start doing two movies a week. Maybe we need to to get oh you more pot committed to the podcast again. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's not and say we did. I mean, frankly, these days it's it's hard enough to find one movie a week, let alone two. So yeah, sometimes it is. Yeah, we'd have to figure our second movie would have to be some sort of movie club arrangement. It could not right, be a, yeah. a new release. But that, the, this, this conversation is certainly not why viewers have come to listen to the podcast <laughs> this week. It, it, as already mentioned earlier, this is the final film in the Anderson Countdown. A penultimate episode, we will do a retrospective next week for those of you listeners. Probably not next week for us recording. Uh, but it is, of course, The French Dispatch is Wes Anderson's most recent film. Written and directed solo by Wes and set in 1975. The French Dispatch, or the full title of the French Dispatch of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun features an expansive ensemble cast to the telling of three stories. In addition, of course, to the prologue turned cycling tour and epilogue turned obituary honoring the life of magazine editor, fictional magazine editor, Arthur Howitzer Jr., played by Bill Murray, who reigned as the editor in chief of the French Dispatch and who died suddenly of a heart attack. Howitzer's wishes were that the magazine would cease to publish but his staff put together one final farewell issue, including a cycling tour of the fictional French town the French Dispatch has been published from, Ennui sur Blasé, as told by Herbain Sazerac, played by Owen Wilson, an article written by J.K.L. Berenson, or Tilda Swinton's character, reflecting on the work of Moses Rosenthaler or Benicio del Toro, a mentally disturbed artist whose work catches the eye of a rich collector, a report written by Lucinda Crimmins, played by Frances McDormand, covering a local student protest that bubbles into the chessboard revolution, led by the manifesto writing college student Zeffirelli, played by Timothy Chalamet, and a story written by Roebuck Wright, played by Jeffrey Wright, recounting the events of a private dinner he had with local police commissioner Mathieu Amarek, prepared by the legendary police officer-turned-chef-lieutenant Nescafier, played by Stephen Park where the commissioner's son is kidnapped by local crime lords. And finally, of course, Howitzer's obituary in which many members of the ensemble come together to pay homage to him. And with that, Jay, let's go to you first. The French Dispatch is very on the nose about its ode to a bygone era of journalism and is said to have been inspired by Anderson's love of the New Yorker magazine, where he was charmed and uh, nostalgic-inspired about a more humanized and romanticized era idea of journalism or did you find the whole endeavor a bit too twee for your own personal tastes? Scott Harvey, put, put your dukes up because I didn't get it. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> this, mm. this wasn't for me. We're finally here. Interesting. I don't know what it was, and I really struggled. I don't with either, it. Jay. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened, but this, this one just didn't quite do it for me. When it opened, like... It opened the way like all West movies have, right? Like it was, you know, flat. The colors are the same, title cards, the shots. I'm like, oh, yes, this is a Wes Anderson film. Here we are. And like, I've enjoyed all the ones we've seen so far. And like, in my mind, I went into it like, this is, you know, going to be the the Wessiest of them all. uh, If, you know, you can call it that. And maybe it was. Which I, I, I think it is the Westiest of the Malls, sure. to and, be clear. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe we've just hit that point where like, it's just a little too Wessy. I don't know if it's the fact that the stories were, I mean, they just like, of course they were disjoint. Like, I don't know if they just felt like too disjoint or if I honestly, like, like I don't want to come down on this too hard because I can look at it and be like objectively, like, you know, it's, it's like well-made and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to like give this like a phantom menace type score, but just having to pick the, the I, one. <laughs> I'm just having fun here because I, I realize like I'm just going to be on an island today. Like I've seen your letterbox scores and I mean, I'm not going to come down again. I'm not going to come down like super low, but I don't know. Something for it like was just, just didn't quite do it for me. Like I was honestly just kind of bored. Um, and I have not felt that way in any West movie watch, except for maybe bottle rocket and maybe like the middle third of Rushmore. Um, so, you know, it was kind of a, kind of a sad note for me to end on there. And, you know, I, I, as we dissect the characters, the cast, the stories, that are like, you know, maybe I'll be able to come to some more clarity on why I feel this way, but I don't know what it is. Like I, I was done and I'm like, that was it. Like, I mean, I wasn't, that was it. Cause it also felt long. Like a point is I, I, I just want to stress that like, it's not the fact that it was, let's just say on a longer side. Cause like, you know, sure. I haven't, 
that hasn't really been an issue. Mm. I don't know. Like I said, when there was about half an hour left, I couldn't believe there was still half an hour left. And that was just kind of unfortunate. There was just feel. another story starting at that point. So, I mean, sure. All right, Scott, let's get, it seems like, Jay, oh, sorry. I don't want to cut you off, Jay. If you saw no, 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 cut me off by all means. All right, let's see the other side of it. Scott Harvey's favorite Wes Anderson movie. Let's hear your defense of it. It is. Yeah, yeah. it's my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Um, yeah, I think, first of all, the writing is brilliant. Like, I just I just love – I don't know who it is. Like, it, it might be Sorkin that said it before or something that, like, you know, good dialogue is, like, good music, basically. The, the dialogue in this movie and, like, the narration and everything is just, like, musical to me. I was just sitting there, like, the last segment – like watching Liev Schreiber. He has like a little bit when he's questioning, um, you know, Roebuck, right? Jeffrey Wright. And he's like, you know, you've covered uh, true crime, false crime. And he goes on like this whole list of, of things. And I was just sitting there like, I could listen to him just list off stuff for like 10 minutes. Like mm-hmm. that's just the, the way that the dialogue is in this movie. It's also just like the literary quality of it. Right. Because, it, he does want you to feel like you are reading the, you know, the the magazine, the publication, like while you are watching the film, like it's very much like a, you know, coming together between the the visual medium and the, you know, the the written word um, on the screen, and I think it just comes together beautifully. I think all the actors are really locked in, and I think like the you know again the first segment, for example, the the concrete masterpiece. That's my favorite part of any Wes Anderson movie, hands down. I think it's hilarious. I think this whole movie is up there with Grand Budapest for his funniest movie in general. Um, I think especially the concrete masterpiece for sure. The second one is like I I'm with the majority that it's the least successful of the stories. But I still, there's still a lot to love in it. And then the third one is like, honestly, really moving. Like the the Jeffrey Wright segment with him playing the James Baldwin inspired character, Roebuck Wright. Um, the way that that ends up is really, really moving. And I love also just the frame narrative with Bill Murray and the way it links everything together and him being this sort of figure that encourages these oddballs, eccentrics, these, you know, um, creatives within his office to express themselves like he's an editor but we don't see him doing necessarily a lot of editing right like his his role is kind of stepping in and saying hey okay i'll allow you to do this thing against my better judgment because i believe in you as an artist and i believe that it's important for you to express your you know creativity and passions as an artist um and so i you know i really like that aspect of it i think they don't overdo it you know he gets like one little scene with each one of the writers where he contributes in some way to what they're doing so we can kind of see what his influence is and then you know i think i think it's deeply felt at the end of the movie when we get there and we have his obituary and everyone is in the room and they start to type it like again i think that's that's very emotional um especially with the lead-in being you know that again what i think is also a very moving scene with um, Nescafe and Roebuck right there after Nescafe has eaten the, the poison radish. Um, so, yeah, I just think I just love the world of this movie. I love listening to these characters like that is ultimately what it comes back to for me is I just could keep listening to the dialogue in this movie. Um, I guess it's the literary quality of it that like distinguishes it a little bit from past West films for me. Um but I, I think it all comes together beautifully. And, you know, sh- sure, I guess it's a little disjointed as most anthology films are. But again, I think there's enough there in the whole Bill Murray frame narrative linking everything together. Um, and the fact that this is sort of an omnibus magazine, right? Like it is, you're, we're getting sections from, we're getting stories from these very different sections. So by their very nature, they kind of have to be different in their subject matter. Um, so it just, it didn't bother me as much. I was just, I'm swept away by this movie every single time I've seen it three times now and I absolutely adore it. Yeah. I maybe not surprisingly shake out somewhere in the middle. I still enjoyed this movie a lot. Jay, we, you're talking about, this is a Wes Anderson film again, get sucked right back in. That's just how I feel watching his movies, especially second half of his filmography. I just feel like the movie turns on and it just kind of goes, it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. 
and it hardly ever really feels like by anything. Except for, I do think that the anthology nature of this one is particularly disjointed, even more so than a lot of anthology films. I think because there is... There is, of course, the central narrative of the fact they're putting the magazine together that threads the sort of beads of the necklace of this film. But thematically, you know, I've seen the movie a couple times now. I'm not sure I, I sort of get the thematic coherence of it all. I don't think that there's supposed to be a thematic coherence necessarily, other than the fact that these are people who Arthur Howitzer Jr. sort of touched and sort of informed or edited their stories. For me, that does create a sort of almost like a, a narrative friction in the film going from story to story, especially when the sent the second story, I'm not that huge a fan of. It's definitely my least favorite. And when you put that in the middle of two stories that I think are fantastic with the concrete or yeah, the concrete masterpiece and the private dining room, of the police commissioner, I found those two stories, you know, Scott Scott mentioned, I found the first one extremely funny. I mean, the scene where, you know, you, you, you meet Benicio del Toro's character, you know, rosenthaler the first time and he's painting simone and then she just puts him back in a straight jacket and takes him out of the room it's the so whole, funny the whole it's thing so like funny. every single scene it just like had me in in tears honestly like laughing yeah and, and adrian brody is just cooking i mean he really just is cooking <laughs> unbelievable in the film and it's i mean like, this is like more, yeah. <laughs> one of the best deliveries of any line huh and also the sort of meta nose tapping of like having bob balaban and henry winkler be like the disgruntled uncles of look at that and they're just doing nothing (laughs) this is so so funny to me so i i I really do love that opening story and then the sort of emotional resonance of the last one i mean scott you've already mentioned it sort of the the line that roebuck wright has taken out of his piece and then bill murray's character tells him to put back in i mean you just there, there could have been like a 30 second pause after that line, just to just to sink, just it's to the whole exchange on. too. Yeah. Oh, sure. But it's yes, very melancholy. Line for sure. Yeah, it's incredibly melancholy, and uh, the tone and is sort of struck perfectly. Sorry, I do want to say, you know, might be getting a little ahead of us there, but I do think, in response to something that we have somewhat discussed, especially with the last movie, you know, West maybe not being the most diverse when it comes to no, he's still not, even though filmmaking. even though Jeffrey Wright is in this movie. Of course. Well, no, but I, I'm not. Yeah, of course. But what I'm trying to say is that last little exchange there between Nescafe, who's Japanese, and um, Roebuck Wright, who is a, you know, black homosexual writer. Um, they have this conversation about like being foreigners, right? And searching for something in the place that they now live in, but not the place that they call home, you know, to evoke the line that. Um, is it said that Nescafe right is Japanese? Uh, I think is so, that right? Okay, it's just, it's just weird because Stephen Park's Korean, so I'm a little surprised that he's Japanese. I but... thought I remember them saying he was Japanese or reading it in a review or something like that. But anyway, the point is he is he's Asian and he's they're they're having a conversation about being you know from other places. And I gotta say, we'll be hilarious if he if Wes wrote this character as Japanese and then cast a Korean yeah. guy to play him. Sure, sure. But anyway, I, I oh, thought he man. was. But it, it doesn't matter. The point is, he's he's uh he's he's a foreigner, and they're talking sure. about the, that relationship. And you know, again, I, I'm not gonna like. Maybe I'm just giving him the mildest pat on the back for it, or whatever, because it's not like this has been a common thread throughout his movies. But you know, I think there is something of a rejoinder there to people who would say that, oh, you know. All, all of his movies are about white people and blah, 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 blah. I think, like, it, it's not just the fact that he has those people and those characters in the movie, but the, you know, I think the way that that narrative sort of wraps up is very much about the fact that they are outsiders and are diverse from everyone on everything else around them. I mean, I think if you were to to point to a theme that does tie together these different pieces... I'm not sure it really applies to all of them, but I think the closest thing you come to is that it's about people who are who live in the city who are not from the city. They they are immigrants to the city and adapting to a place because that's I mean that's that is the whole point of the magazine. It is a dispatch from Kent like that has been sent to France into this town, going back to Kansas. The first story is about this person who is misunderstood and is seen as a sort of weirdo for a bunch of different reasons. Um, the last story, of course, I think you're absolutely right about saying like feeling feeling like you're a foreigner, even when even 
sometimes you are a foreigner, but sometimes someone like Roebuck Wright, maybe he feels like a foreigner because, yes, he is foreign, but also for other reasons as well because he societally doesn't fit in, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure how you thread that through to the second second piece necessarily, but. Well, I was going to say, I think it's, for me, it's more of a, like the loneliness of being an artist, I think is kind of the uh, theme that I see in all of them. You know, you have Moses Rosenthaler, as you mentioned, struggling because he's been in prison for a long time that we don't see, you know, he, he wants to have this connection with Simone, with the prison guard. So there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, there's also maybe the fact that he feels like everyone is, or in the case of Julian is just using his art for, you know, financial purposes. Then you have the Francis McDormand character who I think is also, you know, struggling with loneliness and so much so that the way that Arthur contributes to her piece is by literally just going in and sitting in the room while she is typing, right? He doesn't even say anything in that scene. He just goes in and sits there while she's typing. And it's like that sort of companionship for a moment, like is the support that she needs because she's struggling with that. And then I think the most obvious, you know, way that this theme comes across is in the, the third segment with Roebuck Wright and everything that he talks about really, but especially sort of, he has that little exchange about, he has that little speech about, dining in restaurants alone right and that's why he wants to that's why he likes being a food writer because mm-hmm. everywhere that he's gone in his travels and everything there's always been that empty restaurant you know table for one waiting for him so sure it's you know the loneliness of an artist and then tying that in with arthur making them feel a little bit less alone i guess because he's indulging their expressiveness their creativity and yeah well uh, yeah i mean my only pause is that he's not doing that with rosenthaler he's doing that with tilda swinton's character i guess but you don't really yeah sure no i I understand what you're saying yeah yeah it it just feels like it's not like the final dots have not quite been connected to make it as coherent as maybe i would like it to be or or how i view like anthology like the more successful anthology films sometimes are but again i still enjoy this on the whole i i do feel i mean we can talk we can go story by story if that's how we want to structure it but um, I definitely look more favorably on sort of the first and the third stories of the of the major three uh, than, than the middle second one. But I think it's probably easiest because the cast is just so big. I feel like it's probably easiest just to go beat by beat here and talk a little bit more in detail. It sort of opens with this soft prologue. Almost like a pro prologue, I guess, even as you sort of learn about um, the death of of Howitzer Jr. before it sort of segues into the first article which is this mini cycling report by Owen Wilson's character kind of just feels like a funny bit. They just added into the movie. Um, I mean, I, I think it makes sense in the structure of the film overall. And I do think it's charming in its own right. Cause you get to know the place, the city that's then going to be the home of these three larger stories. But Jay, we'll, we'll go to you first. Did, did you find it, it seems like you, you don't quite get this movie and I don't know if it starts here or if it starts somewhere else, but did you find this to be sort of a charming sort of almost like meta because you can kind of see the the town and the and and the set sort of all juxtaposing into one and i think that that's there's a the way that west creates that and shoots that i think there may for some people there may be a, a specific charm to sort of almost like a behind the scenes or like close to a behind the scenes feel from the way he's making his movie but did you feel that way or, or did you find this a little bit almost isolating in terms of how you felt close to the movie I wouldn't say you'd lost me at that point yet. I think that was a charming, like, cute intro to it. Owen Wilson, it was just nice to see him back. Like, I, it, you know, is a pleasure seeing him on screen. And I thought the bit itself actually worked pretty well. Just to briefly double back uh, to my earlier remark, because this is something that I realized uh, after Scott Harvey, Scott Harvey pointed out that, you know, there was still a whole other story to go by the time I was like, oh, my God, there's only half an hour left, or there's still half an hour left. That was after or towards the end of revisions to a manifesto, which it sounds like we all kind of agree is, I'm sure we, you know, to different points, but still agree that is probably the weakest of the three major stories. So just going to preface any further negativity with that. Um, But no, I mean, I I think you described the cycling reporter pretty well. And I ultimately did find it really charming. And like I said, Owen Wilson is just, at this point, like it's not funny in like a, 
like I don't know like it's funny in a charming way to like see him on screen at this point like I think he just has a certain charisma about him that like I've just like come to enjoy Scott do you feel the same way or do you, do you feel like this is a nice like aperitif to your to the dinner that is the next sure. three stories yeah no I think that that is what it is and that's the purpose it's supposed to serve and you know it does again it does set up Arthur it does set up the character of Arthur Howitzer because you know he's commenting on oh hey don't you think that this is kind of portraying it in a seedy way or whatever and he's like well no like uh you know those are my people and then that's the exact line that Arthur repeats to the staff in the first in the opening of the movie talking about when they're like talking about putting the magazine together and um you know, one of them is kind of being dismissive of, of Owen Wilson's story. And he says, well, those are his people. Um, so, you know, again, it sets him up as he's he's somebody who these writers feel like they can trust and who is going to allow them, you know, to express themselves, give, give them creative leeway. And he seems to be a real champion for his writers. So I think it, it serves to set that up as well. Um in addition to just being, you know, kind of like if you want to accuse Wes of just doing like some some noodling around, I guess this would be the part that you would, you know, you would say is kind of just an excuse for him to, you know, kind of ride, ride through this artistically constructed, you know, city environment that he um, that he loves and have Owen Wilson's, you know, spout off some some poetry about it for a couple minutes so you know that's like the essence of of Wes Anderson right there if 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 you asked somebody who you know is not necessarily a fan or just ask like a basic film fan or whatever to describe what like a Wes Anderson scene or film is I guess they would probably describe something not dissimilar to what we see here in this first few minutes which I'm fine with but yeah, it feels like he tries to put together a couple bits in this one. Like he has Owen Wilson like, falling down the into the metro of the city on his bike. Yeah. But then he also has this like before, like he has Owen Wilson. I, I think that it's really funny because I, I think that he maybe I'm misinterpreting the film, but I kind of feel like it's saying not just that that Howitzer is putting a lot of faith in his writers and defending them and letting them do what they you know what they want or what they feel is right but e he's doing that even when like the work isn't very good i think like we're supposed to understand that, like owen wilson's like maybe not like his character is like maybe not a good cycling yes. reporter because there's like times where it seems like he's like like we or he that he's visually showing us like facts about the city but like what owen wilson's character is doing is, is describing something completely different than what is yeah. on the screen and i don't know if there's like a i don't know if i'm misinterpreting that as in like maybe there is a different meaning to that like he's describing it the way that he sees it. And there's some, some, some sort of like, you know, rose colored glasses or some alternate perspective that his character has. Like, this is the way he sees this, even though this thing isn't, isn't that because he has nostalgia for it or whatever. Or if it's like, actually this reporter's not very good and how it's, still defends him and still lets him do it once and take that for what it's worth. I'm, I'm not sure which it is, but. Well, now, yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely part of it because the point is with all of them, he's like, he's defending them against his better judgment. Maybe, maybe that's about their quality as a writer. Maybe it's like, you know, again, they talk about McDormand's character having written 14,000 words or whatever on 2000 when she was supposed to write 2000. Like, I mean, no, probably no one would argue that that's good, but he like stands up for her right to do it. Um, yeah. I mean that each of the writers have like their own individual issues and, he is like having to overcome those by, you know, saying, okay, like, this is what I hired you to do. I guess, you know, go crazy. This is the last issue, whatever. Yeah, that's true. Although, I mean, when he's learning, when he's doing that, it, he doesn't know it's the last issue. Yeah, that's but true. Yeah. Cause he, yeah. yeah, it was because of his death. Yeah. Jay, any of that resonate with you? Any other thoughts after listening to us talk about it? But no, I, I didn't mean it like, no, I mean, to be fair, I didn't mean it like that. I, I just meant like, did you note things like, you know, him describing something differently than the way it actually was being visually shown? It's not something that I necessarily got on the first viewing, but I found it interesting on a second viewing feeling, feeling that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm not sure how much of that I picked up on. 
Sure. You're also not necessarily going to get me to do a second viewing of this anytime soon. I don't think. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, Scott Harvey looks so disappointed. I, I, I mean, to, this, to be fair, I, after I, really, I saw this, I really this film do that... wonder if this is the farthest apart we've ever been on a movie on these countdowns. But why don't we go on to the first meaty story then? Because I think this is where Scott and I have already talked a little bit about. We really found the humor to be really effective, especially in this. Not that there aren't also emotional elements. I think some of the scenes between Rosenthaler and Simone when he's trying to be sort of emotionally serious and she is immediate like just stone cold dismissive i think that can that can also sort of spark an emotion i i feel like but jay what did you think of the concrete masterpiece did you yeah maybe i'll just i'll leave it open in like that first i mean i feel like there's a lot of different ways i could lead you down but i'm just curious what the how you feel about it overall i would say i started positive and finished mixed i just to like cherry pick some of the moments you've called out like i think that one of the funniest moments in the film is like after i mean it opens with i'm not i'm not entirely sure what's happening but we have benicio del toro painting lea se do and you know there's there's that (laughs) excuse me one moment where he he goes over to her and she like slaps him and i'm like this is an interesting dynamic and then you end up with you know him in the straight jacket being taken back like i did think that was really funny and i mean yeah it's i mean that's pure slapstick to me i mean yeah. it's like come on there's <laughs> so funny. plenty of good slapstick in movie. Yeah. yeah 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 and that scene you described where he is trying to open up to her like you know it's that shot of them from the top like mm-hmm. laying down next to each other upside down and i think at this point it's still in black and white and it just you know keeps rotating like yeah. between the two of them you know, i'm talking about the black and white up. stuff but yeah. yeah 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 sure and uh you know she's not having it i actually kind of liked like i actually really I just like liked Leia do in this role. I was just like, you know, disinterested, like muse, I guess. Like, I, I'm not sure there's a way to more. Well, she has her own motivations. Yeah. And like, I don't know. There, there was something about the dynamic. Like, I, I don't know what it was like getting out of me, but like, it was interesting to watch. Like, I, I you know, it's like, a, I couldn't take my eyes off. I really want to see like how this dynamic continues to evolve. I do think Adrian Brody was also like pretty funny from the moment he showed up like mm. you know they're uh that initial you know i want to buy this painting from you uh i thought that conversation was like well written and pretty funny and you know ultimately you know i you know just like i will pay you 250 i can give you a down payment of and it was something like five you know, cigarettes exactly like whatever yeah. all, all the things in my pocket basically like yeah i is so it where to go wrong for you i feel i feel like you're you're positive right now where to go wrong i don't know man just like half halfway through this like i just started halfway through this story i feel like i just started to get a little bored it's like everything after what you just said pretty much i'm not, I'm not trying to i'm not trying to like go to your pokey no I'm no just no, like, no. I, and again it, it's it's weird like i i think it's it's everything after what i described and again sure. i'm not going to come through and say you know this was like bad just something you know I mean, after if you feel like I it's described. bad jay you can say it's bad it's okay I don't, don't, though, don't be like, afraid of scott he can't kill you until I, next week <laughs> yeah. i mean i'm seeing him on saturday but no again just like something after this and again i don't want to i don't want to just sit here and just be like because I, I still can't quite pinpoint it right and like fine. that okay. itself is tough but because I, I think I mean, I don't personally feel this way, but I think what I'm what I'm hearing you describe is like you like the freshness of the idea. And when that starts to translate and sort of head towards an actual conclusion for the narrative, like you're not quite following the conclusion, it feels like because it seems like you you enjoy the setup. You enjoy the fact that, you know, Adrian Brody is like trying to get on this guy. But then when you fast forward through time where he's becoming this sort of paid artist in prison and Adrian Brodin wants to deliver and these uncles want him to deliver and everything's sort of reaching its conclusion that way. Like that just didn't quite resonate for you. Like you didn't find the ultimate delivery of like 10 frescoes or whatever it is. Uh, and like that sort of huge scene in the, I don't even know what kind of what room that is, but the room where it's painted, like the gymnasium or whatever, you didn't find that scene very effective. I guess not. Okay. And yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, no, sure, and I guess it, I, you know, to me, it must be something about just the conclusion because, in, in terms of the cast, like just to, like wrap up my bit on it, like mm-hmm. you know, there, there wasn't anything that I was like, oh, I don't know why this character is here, and like I really like Henry Winkler, for example, too. So like when he showed up as Uncle Joe, I'm like, oh, cool, like good for you, Henry. So I don't yeah. know something about the something about the way it wrapped up, I guess. Scott, do you want to talk a little bit more about the concrete masterpiece beyond the few scenes we talked about earlier? I mean, yeah, like, again, I could go on and on because I absolutely love this segment. As a matter of fact, you know, for this movie, they made 
different posters for each one of the segments, like a mm -hmm. specific poster for each one. I have the Concrete Masterpiece one. I'm looking at it right now um, over to my right here. So that's how much I love this segment of the movie. But I think it's hilarious. Um, right, Scott's got I his think, bona fides. He's, he's certified yeah. lover of Concrete Masterpiece. I think everything that Brody does in this segment is is just funny to me. The whole like parole hearing that he has to, where it's like, oh, can, can somebody speak on his behalf? No, you know, he just he keeps going off now. This man is a convicted murderer. We're we're all in agreement about that. Um, and yeah, it's it's just so good um, everything he does. And then I think just personally for me, like I think the the way that it culminates is the best part. Like the the whole mural, the fresco reveal sequence, like everything happening there. Um, you have Lois Smith, of course, as the the old woman who's there to yeah. talk about buying the painting. Um, also from Kansas. You have, yeah. You have Brody just doing like his wild shift in emotions from like, oh, I love it. Then realizing it's painted into the walls and like freaking out. The, the hilarious like chase that happens. Leah mm -hmm. Sadu like flipping over the wheelchair with by tripping uh, Moses. Um, and then, of course, Brody coming back around once again. The prisoners all storming in, and it's it's just so good, in my opinion, the, the way that it all comes looks, about. Yeah, he, he goes out the door. He's like, "Where should we go?" And just like the in like the garage next door, like the garage right yeah. next to you, just they pounded in. So that's such a funny, funny shot. And, I, I have yeah. this as a general question about every part of this movie, frankly, every story in this movie. What is the deal with the black and white and the color, Scott? What what is the deal? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Like, other than that, it looks nice. Um, but the, but it's not because it's not past and present, which sure, would make sense. It, so for this segment, you know, the only thing that I can really think of is it does give you that nice moment, right? When Leia Seydoux is walking in front of the, the fresco at the end and it, it turns into color, right? It's like, oh, here we go. She is the one who was like given life to Moses, she was the one who gave him the inspiration to, um, you know, make his art again and feel good about that. And so it's like, it's animating that. It's putting that in color for us to see. But I don't know that that justifies making the rest of it in black and white just to get But it's not the only color. time that it's that it goes to color. It goes I, to color. In that segment it is, is it not? I don't think so. I don't know for sure to say confidently, okay. but it's very, it it's well, I mean, all the Tilda stuff is in is in color. But, but yeah, I mean, the actual story itself, though, like. Yeah, I, I thought that there was other moments with color, but maybe there's okay. not. Yeah. Uh, I could be. I, I mean, it's very possible that I'm wrong about that. I thought that there was a moment where like sort of after they they chased each other, that there is a moment in color with Adrian Brody and Vincio del Toro not facing the frescoes. But I, I could be. I mean, I, it's very possible. I'm not I'm sure. Wrong. I'm yeah. wrong about that. Um, I just sort of thought it was like attention. Hmm sporadic throughout even um mm -hmm. we can maybe talk about other stories but scott what did you think until the swinton i feel like she's like the one writer who just sort of feels like it isn't really part of the story i mean she i know that she literally is she like she up, is the yeah. she is the sort of i don't know like right hand woman of of lois smith's character at the time where the story is like sort of contemporaneous with the story but uh <laughs> I, the, she does get a funny moment where she's she has like a nude picture of herself instead of Leia Sadhu, which is very funny. Um, and also, also when she's like, "I'm yeah. going to have my drink now," and just yeah. like reaches down and pulls out like a, a margarita handle or whatever. Liquor, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so they do get some. They do get some funny moments with her, but I just, I it, it she felt like a a real addendum to the story as opposed to being an integral part of it with the, like the other two. Yeah, I, I agree, but I, I just didn't have any problem with that. Like, she, sure, yeah, yeah, she yeah I don't mean that as a critique. Character. I just know it's yeah. different for her. At the end of the day, I think for me, you know, she's called in to like, you know, bridge the gap there between those portions of the story, like which sure. she does, and to you know give some nice narration. She has like the voice for it. She delivers the dialogue, which is she's very right. verbose and like you know again literary. She delivers yeah, it in a very convincing. It's a TED talk. Literally, yeah. yeah, she delivers it in a very convincing way, um, very rhythmic way. So she does the job that she's asked to do, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Let's stick with you, Scott. Revisions to a manifesto. I think you might be the only person who likes this one on the podcast here. I'm I'm going to get into why I, I'm I'm not as enchanted by this particular sort of narrative short. But I, I want to hear you 
you talk about it first just to get the positives out there for everyone. I mean, yeah, it's definitely maybe the least engaging of the three, but I kind of like the whole generational, like, you know, you have the older journalist, Francis McDormand, who is kind of like supposed to be neutral, right? Supposed to be writing on these protests from a neutral perspective, but can't really, and seems to actually have some some admiration, in fact, for um, Timothy Chalamet's character. The like romantic love triangle stuff, I think, is some of the weaker stuff, weaker part of the the whole story for sure. But I do like that angle of like the again the generational divide and her connecting with maybe something in her younger self, perhaps that she um, identified with in this Timothy Chalamet character. I like everything he's doing in the movie. I think he gives a great performance. Um, you know, uh, his manifesto at the end is, you know, I like it. I think it's kind of, you know, touching, especially when you have the, the, um, you know, context of him, him going up there and getting killed, electrocuted, whatever it is. And, um, you know, her being like, well, he was no revolutionary, blah, 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 whatever. He was just a boy. Like, I thought that that, I think that that part is kind of, it is, you know, pretty emotional, um, pretty emotional, but makes it even weirder what happens in the story that she saw him as a boy and yet decided to be romantically. Involved yeah, again, I, I don't disagree that there are some some weird vibes there. But, yeah. um, you know, again, she's loneliness is part of this character, obviously doesn't justify her actions in any way. But um, sure. she's looking for some kind of connection somewhere and she finds it again in somebody that maybe she identifies her younger self identifies with or whatever mm -hmm. jay what did you think of revisions to a manifesto what did you think of timothy chalamet i actually thought he was fine like just because i found the story not particularly engaging doesn't mean i didn't acknowledge i'm like okay i, I kind of get it you know like I, I i even though i haven't seen him in much you know, i don't i don't live under a rock anything I, at all okay anything at all you know i don't, I don't yeah. live under a rock i understand people like you know a lot of people really like him. Like he's very popular. Yes, people know. thirst for him, Jay. Yeah, I, I was trying not to quite say. I couldn't find the right words, but they people thirst for him. He's quite the heartthrob. That's what I was trying to dating say. the Kardashian. We can move on. Is he really? Yeah, he's dating. Is it Kylie or Kendall? One of them. I don't know. Whatever. Um, point is, uh, I I mean, I definitely saw you know what felt like the chops of someone who like is a leading person and like you know, has captured, I don't know, the hearts of like people over the country. I don't know like what dorky way to say this, but yeah, I, I, I thought he was pretty good. Like, I, I honestly don't have a whole lot to say on that because again, I mean, like I've said, the, the story was kind of bland to me. Like the relationship with Francis McDormand was a little weird, but not really that off-putting. And I actually thought they're like, you know, if you can kind of put the the optics of it aside, I thought their dynamic was actually pretty interesting, and that Timothy Chalamet was fairly convincing, like in this role of a student revolutionary. You know, credit where credit is due. Sure. Yeah, for, for me, I just I find the whole endeavor. I, I'm not even sure if it's necessarily the movie's fault in any specifics, but I'm just not, I'm just feel so disinterested in the story. Something about the revolution, like the student revolution. It doesn't really spark anything with me. I think Francis McDormand's flat character, which again, I think is a choice. Like I think the point that you're making Scott about the character is this sort of depressed and lonely. I think that's very real, but something about her, the way this character portrays that and the way this character sort of goes through that. I just didn't find it particularly engaging. I think the stuff her cover her, like her behavior in covering it. Um, if this is what, Wes Anderson is romanticizing about journalism. I have some serious questions for Wes Anderson is what I'll say. Um, yeah, just not, not particularly interested. I didn't, as much as I like Timothy Chalamet a lot in this role, I, I don't find his romance with Francis McDormand or his romance with, is it Juliet? Is that the name of the character? Played yeah. by Lena Caldry. I don't find mm -hmm. that romance very, very uh, believable either, to be honest, but very convincing. And I mean, th this is the story that holds the film back for me. I, like, Scott, I feel like I'm with you. Like, I'm with you on five stars, ready to ride with you, except for this story. And this story does bring it down a lot for me. And yeah, the I just, whole, like... I guess... I was going to say one more thing about Mitch Mitch, which I think yeah. is another another important character in the story. In the story. 
I'm just sort of lost. Like they're doing this weird play where it's describing his conscription and his time in the army. I just like didn't really understand what was going on. I feel like in like the middle chunk of the story and it just never really was able to, to grab me. Well, the play is supposed to be something that Frances McDormand's character writes after all of this happens. Is it she writes it or she translates it? I don't know. This is what I was confused about. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good question. But she, I don't think she's she is somehow it. she's involved with it. And I think it's yeah. meant to sort of be a tribute to Zeffirelli in its own way, too. Right. Because here is somebody else who was kind of victimized by the senselessness, I guess, of all sure. those political machinations going on. Yeah. Um, Even though it's because he got he drowned in the river after he got electrocuted on top of a radio tower, in which he did not need to climb to reset the radio. Waves. And and because. The only reason any of that started is because they didn't make a move in the chess game because they were all just arguing about the love triangle there instead of, you know, actually making a move in the chess game. But anyway, yeah, I, look, I, I agree that the segment does have its issues. It just doesn't detract from the overall quality of the movie for me because I'm still like in very fully engaged with what's going yeah. on. I still think there are some lovely moments in here. And then the other two stories are just so out of out of the, you know, out of this world. Good, in my opinion. Yeah. Look, I just feel like you're going to say this is a perfect movie, and I'm just going to I'm just going to point back, point I'm back. I'm not, but I don't think it has two. to be a perfect movie to get a ten. We're not. Yeah, no, fair. The score, well, so. Grand Budapest Hotel is a perfect movie, so there you go. No, I'm kidding. Um, it has it has some minor flaws here and there. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I just I mean maybe that's the difference between you and I in this is that I I wasn't engaged through the through the full telling of the story, and I think ultimately maybe that's where lies the problem. There is the final story though, my personal favorite, um, the private dining room of the police commissioner. I'm just going to go ahead and say, and maybe this is going to steal other people's favorite scenes and moments in the film. I think that the choice to then animate a sequence in this pretty great. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, a sort of inspired choice. I think not, not that this needs like more visual inventiveness in it. Cause I think it is a pretty, you know, I mean, it's Wes Anderson. He is inherently more visually inventive than a lot of filmmakers are, but I think the choice to then animate this and who knows, maybe he just didn't have the budget to shoot these like sort of like high octane chase sequences, but whether the truth of that is that or not, then it doesn't really matter because I I find the animation of it pretty inspiring. And I think as funny as the sort of concrete masterpiece is, I find this to be a, a, a really sort of thrilling adventure with a real strong emotional core to it as well, which we sort of already talked about a little bit. I really loved this, this story. I think Jeffrey Wright is phenomenal in the show it's probably the best performance in the movie because of the sort of the just sort of the raw mellow dramatic emotion that he brings to it it's very melancholy melancholy is probably melancholic performance is probably more what i'm i'm thinking of here and i'm just a big fan of of the whole arc um jay it still seems like you weren't you weren't as enchanted by by this either so i do want to give you some some space here to talk through your feelings about it this was the best one. I mean, and I, mm-hmm. I wonder if it suffers from just having gone or having been right after revisions to a manifesto where, again, I mentioned this a couple of times already. Like I, I'm at, I'm at the point where we're starting the new story and I'm kind of like, Oh, like how is there more? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think it suffers from that a little bit, but I do think that this was the best one. I thought it did have to me the most moving moments towards the end of it. You sure. guys have already talked about the conversation between Stephen Park and Jeffrey Wright, and then between Jeffrey Wright and uh, Bill Murray. So those were incredibly moving. I thought the animation thing also worked really well. I'm, I love that you made the exact same joke I made last night. It was like, did, did you run out of money? Like, I mean, and it, you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but I still thought it worked really, really well. Um, you know, even even the the opening which scott harvey talked about between leave shriver's character and jeffrey wright where they are just kind of going back and forth like is what starts to pull me back into it mm-hmm. and it does benefit just like as an aside uh benefit from having willem dafoe edward norton two other characters or two other actors who like you know i'm always pleased to see on screen especially like during this countdown uh you know there's i, th- I think where you you really got me as like, oh, this is this is going to be fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Before we get, to, of course, the very emotionally moving moments is right before we get to the animated sequence when uh, they're you know panning or tracking through the house, right, and showing 
like, you know, everyone has died because of like eating the poison radish, but mm-hmm. Stephen Park's character knew, you know, like the child would never eat some radish, but it turns out like Edward Norton wouldn't either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it just cuts to him like just running out. Uh, and, and I love when the police bust in too, and they all bust in and they're just like frozen there, but they're all like pointing their guns in different directions. Like they look like they're yeah. completely incompetent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and they also, you know, they couldn't catch a, a, a man, like, running with a child in his arms. So, like, yeah, they are kind of incompetent. Which also, is that the second time in this countdown that I, that Edward Norton has been able to, like, run with a child, or run and jump with a child in his arms in a way that he shouldn't have? Just, like, a weird little thing, but... What's the other time? Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise. That, was, that wasn't a child in his arm. That was an old man in his arm, but yeah. Even more so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but... I, I think I think this one to me like was more fun. Like you know, I just mentioned those couple beats, and then you guys have already talked about, it and I've mentioned those conversations at the end. Like they are really quite moving. Yeah, Scott, what did you think of the private dining room? Would you are you interested in, in sampling Lieutenant Nescafier's uh, hot cuisine for the legendary uh, working police officer? Sure. Yeah, I, I'm I'm picking up what this guy's putting down. He uh he, he puts a lot of heart into what he does and and I respect that. There's there's no denying he, he puts so much heart into it that he is like willing to die to taste the new flavor, right? To, I mean that that's not why he does it, of course, but sure. you know, the fact that But in the act in, he found this new flavor yes, that he found yeah. like something exquisite despite knowing that he is eating poison and like has a very high chance of dying from it. He doesn't, but, and then yeah, is is talking about that. Like that's such an interesting sentiment to me. Again, I I just love that whole conversation that they have there. Yeah, no, this segment is fantastic. This is the the one that most people would say is their favorite. um, I'm what I have seen. Yeah. And I, I totally get it. I mean, I do think Jeffrey Wright, Probably gives the best performance. Again, I love Brody's performance so much. It is far more on the comedic side as opposed to this being on the dramatic side. So it's kind of, you know, two sides of of the coin there. But um, he's brilliant in the movie. Obviously, when we did our awards for that year, I believe I nominated both of them in Best Supporting Actor. um, They had Brody winning. but More um, both sides. Yeah, sure. I uh, my my love for the movie is is well documented, but um, yeah, I, you know, again, I love all the build up to to that too, and the the chase sequence, like you said, the police busting in when they send the food over, and they're like, I guess it's Matthew Amalric's character, maybe who's like speaking over the loudspeaker to them, and he's like, you know, my son needs a snack, blah blah. blah. We're gonna send over our, our you know biggest <laughs> yeah. chef, and he's gonna feed feed all of her, blah blah blah. Is it Nescafe? We already ate. We already ate. (laughs) Just the way that he delivers that is really funny. Just like the clipped nature of that. I was thinking it's Uh, funny that Ed Norton's character is like, is it Nescafe or is it one of his henchmen? Or like whatever. (laughs) whatever. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of moments, just like a lot of humor is ring wrung out of like people just sort of breaking out of the artificiality of the world for like five seconds and you know, kind of doing something that is just a little bit off. Sersha Ronan obviously shows up for a second. Doesn't really have anything to do, but um, you know, always nice to see her too. Those blue eyes, though, that's another example where it cuts to yeah. color. I will say that that was one that actually kind of made sense that you're cutting to color just for this, like, I mean, because her eyes are like super blue, right? And it was like, oh, okay, you've done something well, cool yeah. here. I mean, but... those aren't the real. I mean, they definitely like shaded her eyes. It's not. Oh, a real, it's not her real eye color. Sure, but... sure. <laughs> yeah, you know. But anyway, be- beautifully done, and yeah, Jeffrey Wright, like. Jeffrey Wright and Leo Schreiber, that's just such a great pairing. Like, both of them ha- do, like, the deadpan thing so well, like, that Wes Anderson wants people to do. I mean, you know, again, I talk about the musicality of the dialogue and Jeffrey Wright. Like, everything just sounds right, like, coming out of his mouth. Like, his his voice is just so naturally suited to the dialogue. You make It makes you wonder why he's never worked with Wes before this. Uh, or I guess was he an Isle of Dogs? He wasn't Isle of Dogs, but um, Jeffrey Wright was an Isle of Dogs. Was he? No, maybe he wasn't. I can't remember who else in Isle of Dogs because there's so many voice actors in it. But I don't think he was. But yeah, it, it makes he doesn't work with West because West doesn't have any black characters in his movies. So well, yeah, maybe that's the reason why. But yeah, um, yeah. 
But anyway, this is a nice tribute to James Baldwin, obviously, which the sure. whole movie is seen as tribute to the New Yorker, which I think you mentioned, Scott. Um, mm-hmm. And Frances McDormand's character is also styled after somebody, I can't remember what her name is, but like who wrote about the French protests of 1968. Um, and then this one is, you know, styled after James Baldwin, probably, you know, the most well-known of of the people who are sort of the inspiration here. Yeah. Um, Tilda Swinton's character is based off of Rosamund Bernier and Frances McDormand's character is based off Mavis Gallant Gallant? Gallant? I'm not sure but a very fitting tribute to him I think him also being you know this sort of black homosexual writer at a time when he had to go undergo a lot of adversity um, just to make himself hurt I mean Jeffrey Wright goes to jail Uh, Roebuck Wright goes to jail because he is gay and another example of Arthur Howitzer, obviously, you know, Leaving his recognizing the artistry in somebody is he he bails him out and says, come right for me. Not even recognizing the artistry. I think it's actually way even more than that. I think doesn't actually even care whether he can. Really yeah. I think he just wants to do him a, a solid. Like, I know that he injustice. does. Yeah. He does send him like writing samples or whatever. Like I know that he has seen his writing, but I, I feel like you just get the sense when he's talking that. He isn't actually that impressed with with his writing samples. It's that he just yeah. wants to do this this thing for him. But that's the, that's the impression that I was left with at least. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think you're right about that. You know, he sees the injustice first, and then yeah. later on he sees the the writer, and obviously he has to coax it out of him a little bit because he doesn't want to include yeah. that last exchange. It's too sad. Yeah, yeah, it's too sad. It's too real. I will say there is a lot of uh, serious emotion and adventure in this film, in this segment. Also, some great comedy. There's some great names. The Chauffeur, which is Ed Norton's character. The Abacus, which is Willem Dafoe. Great names. Really A-plus names. And they forgot to feed the Abacus for like four days or whatever. Yeah, and they like give him like, and Nescafe like sends him a, or I don't know who it was. Somebody, I think it's Nescafe sends him like sandwich and he's like, just like rips it apart and eats it. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I guess he probably wouldn't be Nescafe because isn't he like in a coma basically? So somebody else maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh no, it is Nescafe. Yeah, they. I, I believe they specifically say it is him. Okay, gotcha. He's the yeah. one who like discovers basically that he hasn't been eating, and right, right, right. Brings him the. I forget what it was, but it's some sort of like very fancy like breakfast dish, basically. Yeah, and he eats it, you know, animalistic. Thought it was an omelet, but okay. It's an it's omelet. A, yeah, it is an omelet. Okay, it okay. is an omelet. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, very very funny stuff with the naming. Uh, Gigi also what the hell kind of name is that for a French kid I don't know what was going on there well he uh, had a different name like that was just like his nickname because sure. I think they say he had a I don't remember exactly what his full name was but they say it at some point sure just the son of Matthew Matthew Almarek's character anyway uh, I don't really have much more to add because I think it covered it I, I do think the stuff at the end around the discovery of something and the loneliness I think that's all just really t- really touching stuff and I just love the more adventure elements of probably like if we were to draw direct comparisons to other West movies, the closest to the Grand Budapest Hotel that you're probably going to get in terms of yeah, short narrative. I mean, I didn't really say this, but Adrian Brody is kind of playing a slight variation on his character from Grand Budapest, just like a, a slightly less evil version. Yeah, yeah, yes. slightly less mustache twirling than whatever yes, that but he's he's in the same sort of register for oh for sure yeah for that's sure. definitely true guys final thoughts on the obituary section i think scott you mentioned at the beginning that you found this to be pretty pretty emotional at the end of the film yeah okay. no I, I liked it again there's something about seeing them all there together and a sort of the meta context of like this being the people that wes anderson like so many of the people like jason schwartzman is in that scene and he's not really in any of the rest of the movie wallace it's Wolodarsky. like yeah it's like all these sort of wes anderson regulars Stevens. paying tribute to the people along the way i mean you know he he has this long sort of tribute list that gets rolled off on the closing credits right after that well that's just the new yorker that's all the new yorker people yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. but anyway it's it's the communal aspect of it It also makes you think of the way that wes anderson has made his movies over the years right like it's sort of fostering this sort of community among his actors or maybe he likes to think of it that way but um sure but anyway i i like that part of it i like you know that they're all going to come together and write the obituary for someone who 
seems to, even though we don't see it for every individual part, seems to have helped each one of them out in their own individual way. And also the, again, you still get a nice like joke in there with the, the cake coming in because it's mm-hmm. his birthday or whatever. And it's like, uh, well, he's don't don't take, uh, don't light any candles. I'll take it. Don't piece. light any candles. He's he's dead. Um, and then yeah, Owen Wilson like I'll take a piece. And they're just like eating cake and writing his obituary. But let uh, them eat cake. Yeah, you know Wes Anderson regulars like Elizabeth Moss and <laughs> it's Pablo. A, it's a Pauly. very quaint, lovely way to end the movie, in my opinion. Sure, Joe. What did you think of the of the epilogue of the film? Felt similar, like felt similarly to Scott. Maybe a little less, like you know, move. But I thought it was quaint. I thought it was cute. It was nice to. I think I agree that it was nice to have. You mentioned you know a few of the West regulars who are there in addition to like everyone else who's kind of shown up. Like, you know, it's. I mean, this is like the end of the countdown. It's obviously not the end of his filmography, but it does feel nice to to have wrapped up the countdown on a beat like that where everyone's kind of together. You know, I. You know, you can have your opinions on whether it's good or bad that Wes casts a lot of the same people in his movies. I think we're all probably pretty positive on it. And I'm just going to iterate, like reiterate that here. Like, I, you know, it was it was a nice beat to end on. Um, and, you know, going back to like, just like the story we're telling here, right? Like this, this newspaper is putting together its final issue. Like, you know, this is the group like coming together to like just do that. And like, it was, I don't know, a nice culmination of all that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel too strongly about the end. I did not personally get kind of emotional at this. I I almost felt like I know that it can't structurally do this, but I kind of just wanted it to end on the note of Jeffrey Wright, his conversation with Bill Murray in that scene. I, I understand that structurally it can't end that way. And at that point in the film, but that is sort of like the emotional crescendo of what's going on. And, Maybe I'm just missing. Maybe this just isn't hitting with me, and and I think it is hitting with other people. But I, I kind of felt like this end wasn't didn't swell as much as I maybe would have expected it to. You do get some and a, a tasteful amount of Bill Murray sprinkled throughout the whole film, but frankly, I feel like emotionally closer to Roebuck Wright's character at the end of that story than I do Bill Murray's character. So even though they're sort of celebrating his life, you know, briefly in the epilogue of this film didn't find it to be as effective as as the moment, you know, five minutes before that. So just on a personal level, I didn't think that it quite ended on on the highest note. But I also get it, like especially people who. You know, maybe even have like maybe this is even reminiscent of some experiences they've had with, you know, family members or close friends and um, sort of these moments, these shared moments after someone dies. I could see how it would resonate with other people. It just doesn't quite do it for me, I guess. Any last thoughts on this or should we wrap things up? You can wrap up. All right. Favorite scene or moment. I did kind of share mine already. I do think it is the animated sequence in the private dinner, uh, the private dining room of the police commissioner. Scott, what about you? It's the Frisco reveal scene from the the concrete masterpiece. I just, I love the progression of it and the, you know, the slapstick humor is great. Sure. Uh, Brody doing his thing is great and also just sort of the the payoff of it and Leia Seydoux like getting her little moment there and um, Julian Cadazio eventually coming around to the sort of beauty of the art um, it's it's perfect yeah I will also say one last thing because you talking about that reminds me we didn't really talk that much or at all actually on Mike about Alexander Desplat's score I don't think uh, or maybe you really mentioned it, but especially in the private dining room so segment, good. I mean, just excellent stuff, really excellent stuff. It did receive an Oscar nomination, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not win. I think course. so. Hans Zimmer won, but um, for Dune, I think actually, I'm not sure it did get nominated. Okay, it doesn't matter because the King won. Yeah, I don't think this got um, nominated for anything. Sadly, nothing at all. Okay. I probably had this exact same reaction two years ago when it was when nominations mm-hmm. came out or whatever. All right, Jay, what did you think? Favorite favorite scene or moment from the French Dispatch? There was a new flavor in the poison. Like it was yeah. just the fact that that was his reaction. I mean, again, we've talked about you know how mentally tough you have to be to like be willing to put yourself through a poisoning like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that that was his initial reaction was just really like wow, like. 
I don't think those would be the first words out of my mouth, but this is clearly someone who, you know, thought a lot about this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. I don't know, was almost able to like find like the beauty in something like, you know, <laughs> which should otherwise be super traumatizing. Yeah. Golden Globe Award nominated, not Oscar nominated the score. Yeah. All right, guys, out of 10, what are we giving the French Dispatch? Jay, we'll get yours out of the way first. 6.2. Okay. Well, you make it sound like this is so, that's such a terrible score. It's not like I mean, so it, it, it's, it's the second lowest, not to like give too much away from our final rankings, but I think this is going to be like a, you know, a prestige or interstellar level of like, you know, this is very much towards the bottom of mine. And, uh-huh. you know, this is the very top of Scott Harvey's. Like, again, I think this is probably the farthest apart we've ever been on a movie. Scott, give it, go ahead and, and give it a 10. Go ahead. Again, I'd put it in the same league as a movie like The Phantom Menace, um, a good movie that Jay doesn't like for some reason. But you saying um, Phantom this Menace, is in the same Phantom league Menace as 10? The Phantom Menace? So you're saying? Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm being facetious. I, know, I, know, I, know. I was like, I'm about to... <laughs> Jay's taking you seriously, but I'm not taking you seriously. <laughs> it's a 10. Yeah, 8.0 8. for me. Uh, very, very strong film except for the middle 35 minutes. But still, one that I was pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed revisiting because not that I swore I'd never go see this movie again when we watched it on the, you know, and I, I saw it shortly after the New Year. It did debut, or not debut, it did it, it did show at the New York Film Festival two years ago. I didn't see it there because I knew it was coming out like a week later. So I did see it in the theater after. But I don't remember thinking that I was going to revisit it anytime soon. And frankly, I have revisited it a year and a half later. So uh, joke's on me, I guess, at the end of the day. Well, that should just about do it, though, for our discussion of the French Dispatch and, of course, part 10 of the Anderson Countdown. Don't forget to check out our podcast, Patreon, at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can support us over there, we'd appreciate that. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts, where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, etc. so we continue to reach a broader audience. And finally, we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about the French Dispatch. We'll be back for one final episode next week before the release of Asteroid City with a retrospective on our time watching Anderson's filmography. We're trying something a little bit different this time. We're going to be answering 10 questions about Wes Anderson's filmography on that episode and then giving some of their thoughts as well. We hope you'll join us for that next week. But until then, for Jay Habib and Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. This is only the second movie I've seen him in. Shut up. Are you serious? There's no way. Yeah. You haven't seen Lady Bird? No. What What was the other one? What the hell? Interstellar. Interstellar. I was going to say the first one's Interstellar, so I hardly (laughs) think that counts. What? Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. For for, for anyone else outraged, Scott and Sheldon has to watch Dune. I can't believe you haven't seen Lady Bird. What the hell? Are you, are you woman, more upset that I haven't seen Lady Bird or Dune? Well, I'm more personally upset that you haven't seen Dune, but I'm just in shock that you haven't seen Lady Bird. Why is that? Just 10 seconds I just would assumed, I assumed that you would have watched this with Phoebe. Okay. We're little women. Yeah, yeah we're little women. That's true. I, you know, I'm feeling more incentivized to watch that. Um, but we, we can Why? come back to that later. Why? Because um, isn't okay. Saoirse Ronan also in that? There, she, she's, she's in both, both of them. Oh, I didn't she's know the lead of both movies. <laughs> okay, okay well, let's, now, move on. let's move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit that out. I don't know where I'm supposed to pick up now. It was very funny that Timothy Chalamet, the only other movie you see Timothy Chalamet is the movie that people forget that Timothy Chalamet is in. <laughs> <laughs>